This is Radio Orbit, exploring the secrets of everything on KOPN 89.5 FM, Columbia.
right. Good morning. Or good evening to you, wherever you might be. This is Mike Hagan. You're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN 89.5 FM, a mid-Missouri source for in-depth news, diverse talk, music of the world, more than radio. It's your radio station, KOPN, your imagination station, serving Columbia and areas all around central and mid-Missouri. This is Mike Hagan. I'm your host, as always, uh, on Radio Orbit every Sunday morning from 2 a.m. to 5 a.m., and uh, uh, tonight, no different. Uh, got an interesting show for you tonight. We're sort of uh, uh, working out some things on the phone right now. We're going to do an interview that's going to start a little bit earlier than it typically would <clears throat> tonight. Uh, we're going to be talking to uh, uh, Sean Montgomery. Sean is a uh, documentary film producer, researcher, and historian. And he's just released a second in a series of videos uh, chronicling the life an amazing true story of a guy whose name was Royal Raymond Rife. And uh, if you don't know the story of Royal Raymond Rife, you're in for a treat tonight. It's going to be incredible. I'm going to put some music on uh, in a couple seconds here and let that play until I get the phones, uh, phones worked out. We'll probably do a quick version of Space Weather and uh, do a couple of stories or whatever and then get right to Sean. Quick thank you to uh, Gail, as always, playing some incredible music for you on... Saturday, uh, Saturday nights, heart and soul from midnight until 2 a.m. Always setting it up real nice for us here on Radio Orbit. So thanks, Gail. Hope you're having a great remainder of the night here, and uh, hope you're laying around listening to this program. It's going to be a real interesting show tonight. Anybody that's in the medical community, anybody that's interested in cancer and infectious disease, this is a program that uh, you'll be uh, not wanting to miss. So we'll... Uh, get into all that in just a few more minutes as I said my guest tonight Sean Montgomery and uh, we'll be talking about a couple of, of uh, video productions that Sean has made chronicling the life and times of Royal Raymond Rife in the meantime let's uh, play a little bit of music here and uh, we'll um, get back with our guests in just a few minutes first with your hands then with your mouth a down for sweat Damn cotton clouds, I was a fool, you were my friend, we made it happen. You took off your clothes, left on the light, you stood there so brave, you used to be shy, each feature and groove, each movement refined, and eyes like a showroom. That was spreading out the blankets on the beach. Well, that weatherman's a liar said it be brain to me But it's clear and blue As far as I can see Left by the lamp Right next to the bed On a cartoon cap hat She scratched with a pen Everything is And it's always been This never happened don't take it too bad, it's nothing you did Just once something dies, you can't make you live You're a beautiful boy, you're a sweet little kid But I am a woman I lay back down, wrap myself up in a sheet And I must have looked like a ghost Cause something bright tempts me 
P.N. Radio Orbit. This is Mike Hagan. I'm your host. As always, I'm going to make things real quick here because we've got Sean Montgomery on the telephone, a uh, documentary film producer and an historian and uh, uh, a researcher that's done an, uh, an incredible piece of work uh, or a number of things uh, that he's done over the years uh, with regard to the life and times of a gentleman whose name was Royal Raymond Reif. Now, we'll be back with Sean in just a minute, but let's take care of some business here. Uh, thanks to Gail one more time. Thanks to the, uh, for everybody uh, out there who's sending emails. I appreciate the notes that you send. If you ever have uh, a question or a comment or uh, uh, some information that you'd like to share, or maybe a story that uh, you'd like me to cover, just send me an email. You can always do that at orbitradio, O-R-B-I-T-R-A-D-I-O. That's orbitradio at AOL.com. Uh, next week, uh, we're going to be airing a show uh, with George Erickson. Uh, as you know, George Erickson wrote a book called Atlantis in America, and he has a special that's going to be on the History Channel uh, next Monday on March 7th. That show is called The Lost Atlantis. And so we'll be talking to George on uh, Sunday morning, and his program uh, on the History Channel will be uh, following that up a, a night later on Monday night. Okay? Uh, so don't uh, forget, if you miss my show, make sure you ch uh, check out the History Channel program on Monday, March 7th. That's at uh, 10 p.m. Central Time, okay? All right. Uh, we'll do space weather in just a minute, but uh, let me give up the website address. Uh, if you're interested in this program, if you want to find out what we're talking about next week or this week, if you're interested in past programs, you can always check that out at www.radioorbit.com, R-A-D-I-O-R-B-I-T.com. The phone number here in the studio is uh, area code 573-874-5676. Okay, we've got uh, uh, some great guests coming up in the next few weeks. I'm not going to mention too much about them. Rick Strassman, Dr. Rick Strassman, author of a book, DMT, The Spirit Molecule. You know how interested I am in that subject and in that topic and in that particular uh, psychoactive compound. We'll be talking about DMT next week or a couple weeks from now with Dr. Rick Strassman. Uh, Cheryl, uh, Cheryl Clapton, for those who are familiar with Cheryl, she's a local and regional singer-songwriter. 
also a mystic of sorts and a psychic of sorts. Uh, Cheryl's going to be on the pro, uh, program in just a couple weeks, and we'll be playing some live music and chatting it up with Cheryl. That'll be a great time. And uh, Stephen Buner, author of The Lost Language of Plants, along with uh, a number of other books. Steve will be on the show in just a couple of months here or so. So uh, all that stuff coming up. And uh, as I said tonight, Sean Montgomery, an expert on the history of Royal Raymond Rife. Let's do a quick bit of space weather here, and then we'll get back to Sean. Uh, if uh, you're in the northern latitudes, you might be interested in some of the aurora borealis opportunities that you can see right now. This, uh, the, the Earth is sort of cruising through a, uh, a solar wind stream that's coming from a big coronal hole on the surface of the sun. And uh, whenever that happens, it can spark sort of a geomagnetic storm. And if you're watching the skies up there in the northern latitudes, you can uh, uh, sneak outside in the early and the late hours and see a nice light show up there in the, in the heavens above your head. This is uh, something else uh, coming up for early risers. Actually, this morning, uh, probably shortly after this program ends, right around 6 o'clock a.m., if you go outside and you look to the west, you'll see an incredible uh, uh, close encounter between the planet Jupiter and uh, the, uh, what's left of the, of the full moon as it sort of wanes away here over these last few days. But uh, Jupiter and the moon will be very close uh, at least apparently so, in the heavens above your head. They'll be less than a couple degrees apart. So that'll be a beautiful sight as well this morning, and probably over the next couple of days you'll be able to see that. Uh, one last thing about the sun. As you know, we're pretty uh, serious about the, uh, the study of the sun on this program, and we've been watching it closely as we always do. There's a, sort of a big prominence developing today, but other than that, no significant flare activity or anything else that uh, we have to be too concerned with right now. Okay? Um, we will uh, uh, be back with um, Sean Montgomery, and we'll be talking about Royal Raymond Rife. And uh, as a matter of fact, I don't think there's really a reason to go back to some music. We sort of, sort of got started a little bit later than we wanted to anyway. So uh, let's bring Sean on the air just, uh, uh, just right away here, like, like, like so. As I said before, Sean is a documentary film producer, and he's recently finished uh, and released the second in a series of videos uh, chronicling the life of Royal Raymond Rife. Royal Raymond Rife was a medical genius, a scientific genius, an incredible uh, machinist, and uh, uh, his story is one that is really important, especially in this particular community here in Columbia, Missouri, where we have such a uh, such a large medical community and such a uh, uh, such an in, uh, intense um, interest in cancer in this particular town of ours. So, without further delay. Um, Sean Montgomery. Sean, hey, welcome to Radio Orbit. Thanks for being here tonight. Hello, Michael. Good to be with you. Yeah, it's great, uh, it's great uh, to have you. Uh, Sean and I have been talking on the phone off the air here for a few minutes. He had a little bit of an accident early today, uh, earlier today and actually conked his head, uh, hit his head, and uh, um, has uh, at least some level of a concussion. And uh, it's good to stay awake when you have a concussion anyway. Uh, so let's not worry about that. Let's... Um, Let's say hello. Sean, where are you at right now? You're on the East Coast somewhere. I want to say New York. No, no, I'm in Toronto, Canada. Ah, and I didn't realize. I, I knew that the films uh, were produced up there in Canada, uh, but for some reason I was thinking that you were in, uh, in upstate New York or something like that. In there, but no, don't live there. Okay. But, uh, I produced that live in Toronto here. All right, so live uh, from north of the border up there in Toronto, Canada. All right, uh, and interesting, actually, that some of this research, I think, uh, is, is 
having more luck up in Canada than it is down here in the States. But anyway, Sean, let's uh, do a little background, a little bit of framework real fast for the people who don't uh, know anything about you, uh, first of all, and then also the people who don't know anything about Royal Raymond Rife. Let's, let's uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got interested in uh, this, uh, this old story uh, from the annals of American medical history and, um, and how you got interested in Royal Raymond Rife to begin with. Well, like most people who've never heard of Rife, I, uh, I first heard about it by reading Barry Lines' book, uh, The Cancer Cure That Worked, 50 Years of Suppression, which came out sometime in the 80s, mid-80s. And uh, I read it in the early 90s. Actually, Jason Ringus, my friend, uh, gave it to me and said, you should read this. And sat down and read it in one sitting because it's just such a, a, an engrossing story and, frankly, quite unbelievable. I've never heard of it. If you've never heard of it before... Um, or any of the exploits of Rife, or even you know uh, anything about his his instruments or his his cure for cancer, it it does come off rather uh, strange because you think something this monumental should have been in the history books and they should have been teaching this at school, but uh, they didn't. So uh, upon reading his book, I noticed that there was a lot of bibliographic uh, material that wasn't in the book, and it was associated with the story, proof, if you if you will, uh, newspaper articles, science uh, journal articles, and uh, lots of paperwork. And uh, so Jason and I went on this sort of campaign to see if we could collect as much as we could of that and uh, further corroborate the story for ourselves because, uh, like I said, it's kind of unbelievable just reading it in a small small print book. So that's how I got introduced to life by Barry's book. Yeah, it's uh, it really is an amazing story. I think uh, I I kind of went the the backward route. I heard an interview that you did a few years ago uh, with Jeff Rents, and uh, Jeff is uh, uh, sort of a friend of mine, and I was a big fan of his program for many years, and still am. And Jeff is a great newsman, actually, uh, and I have a tremendous amount of respect for Jeff. Uh, and uh, might as well give him a little bit uh, of a plug right here if anybody's interested in uh, checking out a great news site uh, and a great site for information in general go over to www.rents.com r-e-n-s-e.com at any rate Sean I had heard you uh, on Jeff's show uh, talking about your first video and I was fascinated by it when I originally heard it I couldn't believe my ears Um, and then I went out afterwards I, I went out and I bought your video but I also bought uh, a couple of books that Barry had written and then um, uh, followed the thread a little bit further and eventually learned a whole lot about it. And uh, as you say, just an absolutely uh, astounding, outrageous story. And for most people, when they hear it the first time, it really is a mind-bender. So. Yeah, that, that Jeff Rinch interview was quite good. Uh, he, uh, he has a great site there, and uh, I go there every day. It's a, it's a wonderful little news uh, place to get your news and... Apparently, a lot of other people do, too. Yeah, no doubt. Jeff uh, really is uh, providing great service out there. So, Okay. So uh, so you got interested in Rife uh, uh, after reading Barry Lyne's book and began to do your own research. So I think what we should do, Sean, we've got uh, plenty of time here. Let's tell the story. Let's tell the story of Royal Raymond right. Rife. Uh, a lot of people don't know the story, so let's start at the beginning. Um, we've got plenty of time, and uh, in the meantime, we'll... Uh, uh, we'll also uh, let people know how they can get your videos. I know that the website is www.002.org. 
org. That's zero the word twice the zero words, the words not the numbers yeah right not the numbers so so it's z e r o z e r o t w o dot org right z e r o z e r o t w o dot org zero zero two dot org uh, you can uh, uh, I get either of uh, Sean's videos at the website and Sean I don't know if you have an eight hundred number or anything like that where people could get a hold of you as well no we don't have an eight hundred number set up quite yet okay just sort of just getting the second part the two videos that are on that site are uh, there are uh, 75 minute films that are covering royal life, uh, part one and part two. It's the rise and fall of a scientific genius. And uh, part one was his rise to prominence, and part two is his fall from, from the spotlight. And I had to break it up into two parts because, it's, like I say, it's quite an evolved story and lots of detail and lots of stuff happens. And uh, so I covered the, the science end of it and the, his instrumentation, uh, life-built scientific instruments, microscopes, and uh, electronic cure for cancer. And just the background on that and, and how that went, uh, how that uh, played in the medical community, is a, quite a thrilling story in itself. And then uh, when it all fell apart, that's sort of like another chapter. And so that's I felt I had to break it up. Yeah, you did... The two videos, the first one pretty much chronicles the technology and, and what he actually was able to accomplish and the work that he did, and uh, in great detail, I might add. And then uh, the, the most recent one, which, which has just been released, that second, uh, the second part of the story, as you mentioned, um, uh, sort of uh, shows the, the other side of it, the business side of it, the life side of it, what Royal Rife, uh, what Royal Rife was trying to, uh, trying to accomplish with the technology. Uh, that he had developed that you chronicled in the first piece. So, And what he was up against uh, trying to get this stuff out. Um, just, you know, there's, a, there's an entire citadel that's sort of opposed to uh, any kind of non-pharmacological approach to uh, healing, which is what Rife sort of was uh, advocating and had invented. Uh, Rife got, got started back in, well, he was born in 19, 1888, and uh, got started in his research around um, 1915, 1920. And uh, it sort of goes on from there. I'll, I'll me to tell, start telling this story here, uh, Mike? Yeah, I think we should tell the story. I think uh, right. let, let, let's start uh, right from the beginning. He, uh, he, he's a sort of a, I, I didn't call him a genius. He was a savant. He, he, he was uh, excellent at whatever he undertook. And uh, that, that was quite a, a wide range of, of uh, disciplines. Uh, there's, a, there's a quote I'll read you from uh, one of the newspaper articles. In fact, the first newspaper article, front page story in the San Diego Union from 1929, where it, it introduces life, tells about what he'd been doing up to that point. And it says, uh, there's a, a paragraph here, it says, Life is an expert in more lines than the average man has time to dabble in. He's an able bacteriologist, embryologist, electrical and scientific engineer, metallurgist, chemist, photomicrographer, and he plays with scientific crime detection. Um, his chief enthusiasm, however, is in the, into the inquiry into the causes and agencies and forms of disease. And it is this enthusiasm that has caused him to develop his various pieces of apparatus and to refine them to an efficiency beyond all precedent. And that's what he did. He, he arrived in San Diego and quickly became friends with a very wealthy man, uh, Henry Tintin, 
who uh, was the owner of the uh, Timken Roller Bearing Company. They made ball bearings, the biggest manufacturer in the world of ball bearings. I think Timken is still uh, quite a prominent uh, player in the steel industry to this day. They are, yeah, Timken, Timken Industries is still going strong. And, uh, of course, that Henry Timken is uh, long since passed away, but uh, Rife himself died in uh, 1971, I think. But um, back then, he uh, he started working for Timken as a chauffeur, and uh, I think it was because he was such a good machinist. He, he was able to tune up his, his cars. And uh, at one point, he uh, built a an engine that they put into a, a, a high-speed boat that Rife raced in the American Cup and won and was essentially the fastest on-water uh, vehicle in the world at that time. So Rife's up there as the uh, American Cup winner uh, for, I think it was like probably 1915, 16. Okay. Yeah, 1915 or 16. But uh, then he got into uh, helping... Henry Timken out of his uh, his factory by uh, inventing a scanning device that was able to look at the steel stock they used and detect flaws prior to putting it on the production line. This saved Timken millions of dollars and endeared life to him. So he ended up taking him under his, his wing and gave him a, a building on his property where wife started building a laboratory. Now, Rife's chief curiosity was disease and cancer, and he felt that he wanted to do something about the, the problems that we all, you know, have. With, uh, and keep in mind, this was before World War One, and we hadn't developed uh, the cures and treatments that we have today. I think the Spanish flu was quite, uh, quite a problem back then. Sure. Anyway... At any rate, Rice, uh, with millions of dollars now, well, whatever he wanted, he got. He was able to build a rather substantial laboratory and machine shop, and he started building devices, uh, refining devices, um, and into the uh, investigation of disease. And his primary motivation was he felt that cancer, he believed that cancer was caused by a microorganism. And though nobody had seen one before, and people had posited this, but nobody had ever proved it, he felt inclined to do so. So off he went. And he spent years uh, examining, well, 20,000 actually, uh, pathological samples, looking inside tissue to try to find if there was an organism, a diseased tissue, and, and couldn't. There was nothing there, although he knew there was something there from other experiments that he'd done with uh, culturing and, and, and whatnot. But he wasn't able to actually visualize it mm -hmm. because presumably it was too small. So at that point is when he decided that we need a better microscope. And so he set out to build one. And that's ultimately what he did. He built a super microscope has, that was able to see viruses in, in the living state. And anybody who knows anything about microscopy and pathology knows that even today, that's impossible. Viruses are too small. You can't see them. Now, you can see them with an electron microscope, 
but you have to kill them um, just to set them up to be seen with this device. It's, it's you have to uh, put them in a vacuum and coat them with metals, heavy metals, and and various other poisonous things that ultimately kills whatever you're looking at, and you're looking at a carcass. Um, now, the electron microscope hadn't even been invented at that point. Right, right, right. So he he uh, was a genius at optics. He ground his own lenses, and he devised a microscope that essentially allowed him to see living viruses. And now I, we can get into later how how that microscope was built, what it what it entailed. But the bottom line is he he invented one and <laughs> was able to then see living viruses and living anything uh, under his microscope, no matter how small it was. Okay. He did this with a, uh, um, a, a specialized illumination system, um, and he stained the samples with light instead of with chemicals so that they would shine out in their own uh, particular color depending on what was the constituent elements of whatever organism he was looking at. So he, he he built this microscope, and still, though, he wasn't able to find the cancer virus, even though he had strong indications that it existed. And that was because he wasn't able to um, culture the virus in, in anything that was... Well, he didn't know what to culture it in. And eventually, uh, his microscope became famous because he got a lot of press on this, and uh, microbiologists from around the country sought him out because they had their own experiments and they were interested in seeing what they had only been theorizing about and what might exist under the slides. So a uh, very famous and well-renowned uh, uh, bacteriologist named Arthur Kendall came down from Northwestern University in Chicago to visit Rice, and he had a special medium. Uh, called the K-medium, which presumably could grow viruses. Now, viruses are only supposed to be able to grow in living tissue, but this was a protein uh, medium, and it actually was able to grow viruses. So he joined up with Rife, and together with his microscope and Kendall's K-medium, they were able to cultivate in the, in a, in a laboratory, in the test tubes, uh, a virus that they called the VX virus that was present in cancer tumors. Now, this got a lot of press, too. It was uh, published in uh, California Western Medicine, Medical Journal, Science uh, Journal, uh, the, the big you know, science, the mm-hmm. journal called Science. Right. Hey, Sean, and, what, um, what, was, what, was that vi- what did they name that virus again? It was called the B, as in boy, BX virus? BX virus. Um, Bacillus, B for Bacillus, X for the X factor. Okay. And uh, BX, and uh, that's that's what they that's how they got started. So they were able to then um, develop this technique where they could not only just with the cancer virus, they were able to um, sort of break open a lot of barriers in microbiology that were existent at that time, even today. Uh, they they discovered that with this microscope they could actually see so-called filterable organisms. Now these are theoretic; these were theoretic organisms at the time, and 
Um, they used uh, the bacillus typhosis uh, from the typhoid fever. Sean, um, Sean, what did they mean by a filterable virus? Well, this is this is where it gets kind of strange because <laughs> what they were what they found was they could filter take a take a bacteria um, and filter it through stone filters. So you're talking about extremely minute pores in these filters and and out the other end comes essentially drops of clear fluid, which is what you'd expect because the the the, the filter itself is so fine that, uh, that it's going to filter anything out of the fluid that okay. you're putting through. And then they took this these drops that came out the bottom and examined them under the microscope and they found that there was minute, what we would call essentially viruses because they're so small, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They, they weren't viruses. They were filterable forms of this bacteria. And essentially, it's another species. They, or it's, it's not the bacteria they started with, but they found that when they put this, this filtrate on a culture of decay medium, which is what, what uh, Arthur Kendall supplied, a special medium, it would grow back into the original virus. Hmm. And they could keep doing this over and over again. And, and, and now this defies microbiology. I mean, this is not something that, that fits well with, uh, with, with the orthodox science at the time. They, they blame this on leaky filters to somehow contaminating your sample. This can't be happening the way you're saying it's happening. In other words, nothing was supposed to be able to make it through that, that, that filter. That's right. And yet, here is not only something, but a smaller essence of the bacteria that was that started on the other end of the filter. Right. Now, what they what they discovered was, and this this opens up a whole stream of uh, of microbiology called pleomorphism. Right. I was going to ask when we we're going to talk about pleomorphism. Okay. This 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 filtrate this this filterable virus, depending on what medium you put it in, it would grow into different bacteria. It would grow. Of, of different species, so you could run this thing through through stages, and you could essentially turn, uh, say, a E. coli uh, into Bacillus typhosis, and then turn it back again into the the original uh, bug, depending on how your uh, what is in your what, what food you're giving it in the culture medium that okay. you're growing it in, right. and again, now this is. This is outrageous microbiology, but it's, it's, it actually has a, a, a very strong foundation in history. Uh, lots of uh, very prominent men have, have worked in this field, and, of course, when their findings become known, they get ostracized because this flies in the face of uh, Louis Pasteur's germ theory of medicine, where one germ causes a disease, and you get sick from that disease because okay. you've been infected by that germ. All right. And they were saying right, right. that that your your body, the terrain of your blood, your, your the chemical makeup of your of you, is what determines what will grow in you, and that all diseases, all microorganisms, actually are in you, in in this filterable form, in this tiny, minute sort of a precursor to. Uh, to uh, my, uh, pathogen, and depending on what you know, what the environment of your blood is, will it will become whatever 
disease, whatever disease organism you get sick from. Okay, all right. So, so taking, it's taking the infection route and sort of spinning it around, and it's putting it on the body. And it's not, it's not coming from the outside. It's coming from the inside. Okay, so the analogy is that the, uh, these, these cultures that Arthur Kendall uh, was working with, with Rife, where they were able to, uh, as you said before, they were able to culture different types of, uh, of bacteria depending upon the medium that they used, again, depending upon the food, so to speak, that they gave it, right? The, right. Sa the same thing is happening inside the body. In other words, these, uh, these organisms are there as well, and depending upon the medium, the food that's supplied in each particular body, that will determine which uh, sort of pathogen is actually allowed to grow in that body. Yes. Okay. And now once, once an organism takes hold in your body, it begins producing its own food. Its, its, its waste product is its own food. So it will set up a, a sort of a vicious cycle where now y y you, because you've become infested with this, with this organism, the organism itself is providing the, the terrain or the medium in you, in you to maintain its own uh, existence. Okay. So it, it, it essentially what it is is saying that our understanding of microbiology is actually a misreading of, the, of what's actually occurring. Now there's, you know, uh, Antoine Deschamps, a famous French uh, scientist, uh, bio, uh, microbiologist, was one of the first and most prominent people to, to, to uh, talk about this. He proved it over and over again in various uh, ways, shapes, and forms. And so have many other people. And they always name this, the, 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 the original, the, the tiny precursor filterable organism for themselves. So, so Bechamp called it the microzyma. Um, and other, other microbiologists will discover this protest and they'll, and they'll name it something else. So you don't really have a consistency through the history of of microbiology or this branch of microbiology, pleomorphism, in terminology, and that's part of the problem with with the fact that even today it's it's very it's misunderstood and it's not very well known because it's usually these uh, these maverick scientists who are working on it. So it seems like uh, over over the course of time there were a number of different uh, scientists that. Uh, if they didn't actually discover uh, what Rife actually discovered, they were certainly sort of sniffing along the trail, and there were a lot of guys that thought uh, that there was something, uh, something different going on uh, that was outside of the of the, of the established theories uh, 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 that were put forth by people like Pasteur, as you say. Well, they would work. Yeah, they would work on their own particular disease organisms, and and uh, Rife worked on cancer, and and that's that's sort of a stretch because a lot of people won't even acknowledge that there is a, a microbiology to cancer. Right, right. It's, it's a cell mutation. Right. And that's where it is. And that's where it sits. Now, there is, there is some uh, agreement that some cancers are caused by a microorganism. Peyton Rose in uh, 1915 discovered the, uh, the, uh, the uh, what is it called, the, the chicken uh, sarcoma virus. Mm -hmm. And uh, he got a Nobel Prize for that and, and it's just before he died, our yeah, just before he died in the 59, I think, or maybe later, I can't remember when. But So it is acknowledged that, they, that some cancers, in some cases, have a, vir a viral uh, or bacteriolo bacteriological foundation. 
Okay, well, uh, it's certainly not a general uh, general model that that is accepted by conventional medicine. Let me ask you. However, another... Rife believed that it was. It was it was purely cancer is caused by a microorganism, and he called it the BX virus. Okay, well, let, let, let me ask you another question about that. Um, in in my own sort of uh, uh, path, I ran across. Uh, a particular bacteria that's called H. pylori, and this is a this is a bacteria that exists in the stomach, in the gut, of uh, uh, many people, and 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 has actually been uh, been fingered as a cause for certain type of stomach cancer. And when I <clears throat> originally read that, I thought, well, wait a minute, uh, there this is uh, an ad uh, an admission uh, in the mainstream that that this particular cancer at least was caused by a microorganism and to me uh, the, the red flag went up immediately and I thought well if if this one is then I mean all it takes is one in my opinion I thought uh, I, I, I don't see how those how those two viewpoints uh, can can maintain uh, uh, validity both at the same time well cancer is very very complex uh, disease and and, and once it takes hold, it's very, very difficult to get rid of it. And um, you can try all sorts of different things, and, and some of them may work and some of them might not work. Some of them may work on some people, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the same thing might work not work on other people. Right. So really, we, we really don't know what's going on with cancer in its entirety, even today with the, with the well, I mean, by now, billions of dollars. Billions and billions. Spent. Now, keep in mind, Rice did discover a cure for this uh, this, this disease, and, and that's that's to do with another one of his his inventions. And uh, so, you want me to get into that? We actually should tell the people that that's because that's really where this is going. He he uh, he had his microscopes, but he also figured, okay, well, how do we kill these things? You know, that's that's we can see them now. We can study them. We can look at their life cycles. We can we can see how they change. We can, but these are pathological organisms. They kill people. What can we do about that? Okay. Well, look, uh, that's a good place to take a break. We're just about at the top okay. of the hour here, so let's do that. We'll we'll take a little music break here. Uh, we'll come back, and uh, and we'll talk about. Uh, more about Royal Raymond Rife and about uh, uh, about what he actually was able to do, not only to detect uh, these organisms, but now uh, the next step, uh, as Sean is mentioning here, is uh, how to deal with them and how to eliminate them uh, so that the cancers either eliminated or don't uh, don't ever uh, develop. So, okay, my guest is Sean Montgomery. He's a documentary film producer and an expert on the life and forgotten story of a medical and scientific genius whose name was Royal Raymond Rife. We'll be back with Sean in just a minute. In the meantime, this is the Dave Matthews Band. This is called Typical Situation. This is Radio Orbit. You're listening to it on KOPN. Child, don't be seven oceans. Come on, 
the shores of the sea. It's a typical situation in these typical times. Too many choices, and yeah. It's a typical situation in these typical times. Too many choices, and everybody's happy, everybody's free. Perfect number, but one
situation that leads to pickle times. Too many choices. It's a difficult situation that leads to pickle times. Too many choices. We come to where things are Dave Matthews from Under the Table and Dreaming. That was typical situation. And uh, unfortunately, talking about typical situations, the story of Royal Raymond Rife is one that uh, uh, is sort of uh, a familiar story, although uh, not exactly in the same way that this one actually occurred, but in many different areas of science and human endeavor over the years, there have been individuals who have uh, made tremendous efforts that have gone uh, unrecognized or forgotten or suppressed or censored for many, many years. And the case of Royal, uh, Royal Raymond Rife is no different. My guest is uh, Sean Montgomery, and uh, we've been discussing for the last 40 minutes or so the history of Royal Raymond Rife. Royal Raymond Rife was a scientist uh, uh, who originally was working for Henry Timken, as Sean pointed out, and uh, uh, had an interest in a great many topics, but uh, the um, the cause of cancer being one of his main concerns, and that's about where we are. Uh, and uh, Sean, we had talked about this incredible microscope that uh, that Rife had designed and built, which which gave him the ability to actually see microorganisms uh, the size of a virus. Uh, something that is, uh, to this day, considered outrageous, uh, and was able to see them in a living state, sort of the difference between looking at a at a snapshot and a motion picture, I'm guessing. So anyway, let's get back to it. Uh, he developed this scope, and then, as you were saying before the break, you were saying that he uh, uh, he actually was able to, to, to do something with that knowledge now and actually create another device that was at, that was able to treat. So let's uh, let's continue the story, okay? Yep. Okay. He. Uh, so this was about. This would be a put us at around uh, the beginning of the 1930s. Uh, they, Rife had been working on a way of to electronically kill microorganisms, and he developed a system where he would blast electrical energy through a gas tube, uh, tube filled with helium, and that would emit a ray. Now we do this today. That's this. This is this is you know known technology. But what he discovered was that if he was if he looked through his microscope at an organism, say pick pick any organism, let's say the cancer organism, the BX virus, and he's he's got it there in the culture under the scope, and he's he's watching these things float around. He would direct the beam from this thing called he called the Rife ray tube. It had many different names: beam ray tube, Rife ray tube. Uh, the the, the uh, frequency instrument, and he would watch them, and he would cycle through frequencies 
one hertz at a time until he found a, a frequency that would literally cause the organisms to explode. They would pop and blow up, and, and they would, on mass, like just every, every, everything in the room that was that organism would respond to this specific particular frequency uh, by dying. And it would be called it a devitalization. Uh, 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 and, and if you actually look at films of it happening, they they explode. Do me do me a, do me a favor, uh, Sean. That that is so important. I think in this part of the story, uh, it is. Let, let's uh, let's talk about that a little bit more, and let's clarify um, uh, exactly what was going on here. So, in other words, we we know with the microscope that the, the, the way that he was able to observe uh, the living organism as opposed to the dead organism that, that, that you explained early on, and, and for, for people that are, that are uh, in microbiology, they understand this, but for people who don't know uh, things about microscopy, uh, what Sean mentioned earlier is that uh, typically, even with uh, electron microscopes uh, to this day, you have to do what they call stain the sample. You have to stain the sample in order for uh, the microscope to be able to, uh, well, for lack of a better word, to be able to see it. Rife apparently did not stain the sample with chemicals, which is the typical uh, method, but somehow he used some special sort of lighting system, apparently. Is that correct, Sean? And, and, and this, yep. this was able to illuminate, so to speak, uh, the organisms that he was looking at. So... Uh, and that's really what gave him the idea for for killing them too. The microscope had the illumination system was a monochromatic light. What does that he would mean? Cycle, he, monochromatic meaning one color. Okay. He would cycle a. You know how when you when you shine a light through a prism and you get the the spectrum, the array, the rainbow of colors. Sure. Well, he had this similar type arrangement hooked up to his microscope. And he would cycle through the colors until he found a particular frequency of light, a color, hue of light, that caused the microorganism that was in his, his uh, eyepiece to uh, essentially bioluminesce. Right, to, it would just light up. To so resonate the, the, the chemical constituents that, that, that were the main... Uh, constituents of the of the organism, the bacteria, the virus that he was looking at, were would essentially vibrate and if under a, a specific uh, color of light and they would shine out. So his list in, in his lab notes, his lists of all the organisms, they have um, the color that that essentially you view this organism in. So the BX virus, for instance, he saw it as a purplish uh, light, light, or it shone out as, and they looked like purplish specks. Whereas other organisms, they would be brown, or they would be orange, or blue, or you know, green, red. Right. Just okay. the, the full gamut of colors and and variations or, or uh, shadings of those colors. Sean would represent individual organisms. Okay, so in a, in other words, he he would uh, he would choose organisms that he already knew. Uh, were identified or whatever, and then after he found the particular frequency that 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 again sort of lit him up, then he would record that so he knew. Uh, I guess that's sort of like a fingerprint or something. Yeah, I gave him a. I mean, yeah, it would give him a, a, an idea as to 
what well, I'm not really I'm not really sure, and I don't think anybody is the the relation between uh, the the light color that he used to illuminate them and the f- the frequency that he used to kill them. Okay, whether okay. they're actually related or not. Now, I think on some level they probably are. One's probably a harmonic of the other, but the light frequencies are going to be extremely high frequencies. Okay, uh, the, the, the color frequencies. So. He wouldn't record that as a number. He would, he would record it on a color chart, and it would be, I'm sure they could do their their computations and calculations and figure out what a uh, what an associated uh, radio frequency is would be that that would essentially do the same thing, only shake it right apart. Right. Now this is all this is all based on the concept of resonance, of course, where you, where you would you would hit a tuning fork and Another tuning fork that you didn't hit would start singing out with that frequency. Right on the other side, on the other, setting it up. Right on the other side of a room so this, or wherever. That's right, and and, and the, the 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 analogy of the uh, opera singer hitting the note and smashing the wine glass. That's the that's the frequency. That's the principle that this uh, beamer machine wow. frequency instrument worked on, you and know, probably the microscope too. Well, you know. Uh, it's, it's setting up the, the, the uh, fluorescence that would occur in the, in the organism. You know, that alone, Sean, uh, f- to a layman like me, that is nothing less than action at a distance, you know? And that's, suppo- that's supposed to not be uh, something that's uh, capable of occurring with the laws of physics as we've been told that they exist. However, this is a phenomenon that we see in the real world, no question about it. So, well, we're we're doing it right now, and everybody's listening to you. <laughs> That's right. On the on the the principle of of uh, essentially resonance, because the the, the the radio signal's going out and it's resonating with their tuner, and they're picking you up. Right, and 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 the other the other interesting and uh, uh, part of that that I always like to point out is just because the tuner isn't tuned in doesn't mean that frequency isn't still there and translating right. all the time. So, okay, this is this this is making uh, making good sense. So, so the the the, the uh, his beam ray device is his his pathogenic uh, ray that killed these organisms operated under the concept of resonance, and he used radio wave uh, the radio spectrum of energy to to broadcast this. Now, that's what he broadcast. That's what he put into this glass tube that was filled with helium gas, and and that would then in turn emit a, a, a signal, a, a pulse, an electrical pulse, out into the room. And uh, in other words, it wasn't directed. It was just sort of a generalized pulse that you. Well, no, it, it was directed against uh, the, you know because uh, if you just look at any tube, you see that it has a cathode and an anode, right? And you fire electrons at the at the the cathode part they, and they would bounce off and whatever direction that thing is facing it would they would generally go in that direction all right cool so it would sort of drop off as you as you came around behind the thing so that's why they would call it a beam or a beam ray uh, instrument because essentially that's what it was it was it was directional so he would point this thing down onto his uh, his his microscope stage and cycle through radio frequencies and until we found one that actually 
created resonance in the organisms, or organism, or the group of organisms that he was looking at under his microscope, okay. and they would shatter. Uh, he, he describes it by saying his, that the constituent elements of the organisms would act in coord coordinative resonance with the energy coming out of the beam tube. Like I said, similar to the opera singer in the wine glass, mm -hmm. and off they would go, bang. Now, this is one frequency, one specific frequency. You dial off a few hertz one way or a few hertz the other way, and it, you, you, nothing happens. You have to have it bang on. So he would sit there for months, uh, however long it took, and look into his microscope, cycle, 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 and just keep going and go, keep going. Changes slides because they only last so so long. Uh, microorganisms only last so long under a, uh, in slides, half an hour or so. You have to get a fresh sample on there. Keep going, keep going, and then he would until he finally got a result. He would record that. Then now he's got something to work with. He would just keep repeating it over and over and over again to be sure. And he he discovered the resonant. Uh, that frequency, what he called the mortal oscillatory rate, the MOR, for uh, over 50 organisms. And these are disease organisms. We're talking anthrax, syphilis, uh, tuberculosis, um, you name it. All the, all the scary ones that, that, were, that were prevalent and, and are prevalent and out there. And uh, so essentially he was doing this under the microscope now. So, so there wasn't there wasn't patients dying of these diseases that they had gotten to yet. He was determining the the methodology and the principle um, in 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 vitro, as they say, under glassware. So okay, well, um, let let's uh, let's also uh, we can't overestimate, uh, overemphasize, I should say, the importance of the microscope and the idea that he was able to watch this in real time. In other words, this is the, the, the advantage as he's dialing through these different frequencies, trying to find that, that mortal oscillatory rate, as you called it. Uh, if, if the sample wasn't alive, there would be no way to know which particular uh, wave killed the organism. But because he was able to view these things in the living state, he was able to uh, apply these different frequencies to them, and then when they did shatter, uh, bingo, right? It, it is like it's like the whole thing is this ingenious system that he that he, he he thought up, right? It's like you have to right, you have to have the live sample in order to kill it to know you're killing it, right? And you have to have the the, the impossible microscope to, to view the live sample so that you can see whether you're killing it or not. And, and so he had to build this, and he had to build that, and he had to build this, and, he, and it's, each time he came to a problem, and it's like, oh, nothing like that exists. Well, I guess I'll have to build it. And off he went, you know? Yeah, absolutely incredible. And he's really quite amazing that way, this guy. And, uh, you know, let's, this is a good time to throw this in there, too, is that uh, for those people out there that are listening that may be skeptical of all of this, there is a tremendous amount of documentation uh, of Rife. He's not, uh, he, he's not uh, uh, a nebulous character by any means. He was heavily documented in many of the newspapers of the day. Uh, Sean has uh, done a great job of incorporating 
uh, many of these newspaper clippings and historical photographs and actual uh, uh, audio footage uh, of Royal Raymond Rife himself uh, in discussion with some of his uh, his colleagues and his peers and his friends. And uh, it is just uh, an, an absolutely uh, remarkable story uh, that is tremendously well documented in the historical it record. Uh, it, it, interestingly enough, it's, it it it, uh, it has flown completely under the radar and it's kind of been wiped clean, uh, so to speak, uh, which has happened, as I mentioned at the top of the hour, in in some other uh, some other instances that I could that I could make example of. But uh, at any rate, it is uh, it's amazing. And uh, and 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 again, I would uh, suggest to people out there, if you're more interested in this, you want to learn about it, uh, just uh, go to any of your uh, standard search engines out there and put in uh, the word Rife, R-I-F-E, and uh, and maybe uh, something like microscope, maybe something like cancer, maybe something like microbe, words like that, and you will probably come up with a lot of interesting stuff. And, of course, uh, uh, Sean has done most of the work for you uh, with the documentaries that he has built and put together and produced. And, uh, uh, and again, those are available at 002 dot org z e r o z e r o two t w o dot o r g so uh anyway okay sean that's uh let's keep going with this but it is you know the, you know the more i talk about it the more i think about it it, it, it is just an absolutely mind-blowing story hey do you want to hear right telling you about his uh his, his discovery of the steam ray oh do you actually okay, have I'll, I'll, do, play, I'll play you a little clip here perfect perfect let's really let's well, do that okay so, well. so this let's set this up a little bit what is this now? Um, yeah, this will be him talking about uh, and setting up just just the idea behind this this beam ray device, this thing that kills microorganisms with radio frequencies. And the time and the time frame from this. Um, now he he would be saying this probably in the fifties, uh, referring to to work that he'd done. Okay, in, all right. So he's 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 reminiscing 30s. back. Okay. That's right. He's he's an old man here, and you can hear it. Um, here goes. All right. I conceived the idea around about 19 and 20 on the creation of an electronic device that would uh, devitalize the so-called pathogenic bacteria of human disease. And uh, we finally developed it up to a point where that uh, we could devitalize and kill these different bacteria. I stood in front of that thing for 30 years finding these different frequencies that devitalize these different bacteria because we are creating a frequency from an electronic device that we're putting into a tube that's likened to an X-ray tube that is acting as a partial directional antenna that will emanate a vibration that is in coordination with the chemical constituents of a particular or specific bacteria. And what do you call a Yeah, it was. Uh, it, it wasn't bad, actually. I think it came through good. They, amazing. It's the, the right ray. Uh, yeah, this is this is this is quite amazing because it, it's 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 the end of disease as far as 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 far as uh, uh, controlling um, you know microorganisms go. Now, of course, this doesn't involve drugs and it doesn't involve 
any kind of pharmacy. So, so the, bo- the, like the bottom line, though, is that uh, the bottom line with the technology is that uh, it's really just a matter of cataloging at that point. All you have to do is uh, you have the technology. Now all you have to do is apply it to all of these different bugs, as you mentioned, yeah. and then and then. Uh, once you've once once you got them nailed down to the, to that frequency, then you then you know it uh, for future reference, and uh, so then it just becomes the work of of cataloging, apparently, huh? Well, also you have to find out whether this is going to work in in the body. Mm, like yeah, of it, course. Of course. sure it's going to kill the bugs on a test tube uh, on a on a slide under a microscope. Right. Okay. Right. Now, is that going to work in the body? Is if is a sick person has got tuberculosis? going to be healed by hitting them with the frequency for tuberculosis? Well, the answer is yes. They, they are, and it did work. So he did... Life is very so, meticulous about this. So he actually did have some, uh, eventually have some uh, some human uh, subjects that he, that, that he worked with. Well, this is where it gets interesting, because he didn't work by himself. He had, he had renowned, prestigious uh, doctors who, who uh, were working with him, and... and of course, now this is a guy who's, who's in a laboratory somewhere in San Diego. He's really not a doctor. He's, he's, he's an inventor. He's a scientist. And so he really can't be doing this. You can't, you can't do this to people. Uh, there's laws against it. Right. So, so he had to go through the right channels. And in fact, he, he resisted doing this because um, I think he probably saw the trouble that was going to be caused by it. But the doctors that he was working with, namely uh, Emil Ben Johnson, who is a... Uh, what they call a medical politician. He sat on the board of, of, of several medical societies in California. He was uh, quite a powerful man, and probably the best guy that Rice could have possibly been associated with because he took it upon himself to, to push Rice into getting this off the test tube and, and into, the, into treatment rooms, uh, which they did slowly but surely and very scientifically. They started with animal models, Mice and, and rabbits, or whatever, whatever um, uh, animals would carry that disease uh, that the humans would carry, ultimately. And they, and now for anybody who's against this sort of thing, uh, keep in mind that uh, they cured the animals. <laughs> so they were, they, they came away with like uh, cure. You know, they didn't kill these things; they they fixed them. Um, so. Once they establish that this will work in a body, will will work, you know, go through the, this, these radio waves coming off, or these these electric waves coming off of the the, the tube, the tube, these uh, radio frequencies, will travel through the body, not harm human tissue or or animal tissue, and still kill these bugs as they reside intercellularly within the animals. Wow. Then they thought, okay, let's 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 there's sick people out there who need this. Let's move it to the to the clinics. So but no, they did that of course experimentally. There was a when you could say a famous clinic, but it isn't famous, is it? Because nobody's heard of it. But it, it, they 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 did this up they got the best people in the fields and these are famous men, uh, like pathologists uh, gathered together, and they called it the Special Research Committee um, at the University of Southern California. Right, right. In 1934, 33, 34, uh, 1934, and they they arranged uh, a 
a place, and they gathered terminal patients who were dying of cancer and tuberculosis and various, uh, like carcinoma and sarcomas, and sat them down, and they tried to establish how this was going to work in terminal human patients, and it did. It worked beautifully. In fact, these people who were brought in with ambulances and were dying um, walked away. So these were sort after, of... After only a few weeks of treatment. Like they, they did it every three days because, as you can imagine, uh, when microorganisms are blowing up inside of you, they're creating a lot of muck mm-hmm. that your your lymphatic system needs to clean out. So they they space the treatments out once every three days. That's what they established would be the the, uh, the optimal um, treatment protocol. And for, they had 16 patients that they tried this out with first. In in 60 days, 14 of them were were signed off as clinically cured, and and they were well and healthy enough to to leave. And they, you know, gained weight, started eating again, and got their lives back. And the the, the remaining two, it took a bit longer, but they were they also, um, you know, responded positively. Wow! And, and basically, and, were saved. And these were. And, and then that's and so that's that was the uh, La Jolla Scripps Ranch uh, clinical trials of 1934, uh, witnessed by uh, six preeminent doctors. Um, gathered together to determine whether this works or not. And lo and behold, there's the cure. And now, these, were, and these so, were sort of lost cost, uh, lost cause patients as well, right? They were, they were dying. They were, they were, you know, they were, they were sent home from the hospital where there's nothing more we can do from you. One, one fellow was so sick, you could see his stomach, his spine through his, through his, you know, the front of him, like, you Huh. You know, they were wasting away. They were they were gone. They were they were as given up for dead hmm. by the hospitals. There was you know there was nothing more they could do with them. And of course, they're going to give them those people because um, it's almost as if to say, here, here are these guys, <laughs> and sure enough, they did. So this is this is the worst case scenario okay. of the disease. Okay. And you know, it brought them back. So so in other words, it worked. And, and from that point on, I think that what they realized is we're in trouble now. Sean, for, uh, for the record, uh, let, let's at least put a few of those names out there, some of those other doctors uh, that, that, were, that were involved uh, at those studies in La Jolla. I'll tell you what, I'll let Rife do it. Here. No problem. So this is Rife going to be talking about some of the guys that he He'll was be talking about. With. That very clinically just discussed. Wonderful. And uh, there's been in the 
has done a great deal of work. As a matter of fact, this Dr. Milbank Johnson, he was uh, not only a big medical politician, but he was a multimillionaire that did this clinic in La Jolla, under his supervision, of course. And he picked Dr. Couch to carry on the few patients we had left. Wow. Um, there was Alvin Ford, who is the uh, president of the pathological association of and this is a famous guy he was he's he's mr powerful uh, pathologist back then there was the george doc uh, a lot of these names nobody will recognize because these men were these yeah i just want to get them on the record though so if people on. do want to go google them or something like that that they can actually find out who these people are i think it's important so milbank johnson who is of course the 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 prime motivator behind this whole thing right um I, you know, name, I'm not very good. I know there was a guy, his name was Couch, Dr. Couch, I want to say. Dr. Couch was, uh, he, he's actually a doctor that came in later because they needed some, they were going to try to get this, um, they were going to move this forward from that into into clinics. So they had to bring doctors in who from the area who uh, who were essentially just practitioners. Right. He came in at the end and, and he, uh, he witnessed this and, and and was just blown away. And he, in fact, Dr. Couch was one of the one of the guys who carried this on for 20 years after. In fact, he's the only guy that carried it on for after. I'm just looking for Couch's uh, statement here on this. I think I have it handy. Um, so in the meantime, uh, Milbank Johnson alone, that's and Arthur Kendall's another name uh, that we, we mentioned earlier. But all the all of these people that Rife was working with were uh, were were. were Profoundly uh, respected in the medical community uh, in in the day. That's what's so amazing about this. Like it would seem that if this happened today, this this would be out. This would, would that if if men comparable men uh, witnessed this sort of thing today, that, that there would be no stop in this. But for some reason in this day, in this day and age, in that day and age, there was. More to the politics of medicine than uh, you can imagine. So ultimately, these guys, with what happened later, uh, they denied even knowing life, and and it just sort of all collapsed because uh, because of what happened. Because of uh, essentially the medical society uh, wasn't under under the auspices of certain corrupt individuals. They were under threat of their careers uh, if they if they kept on you know talking about this or or promoting it or dealing with it. or continuing to work. Okay, all and right. That's, uh, that's that's what's horrible, you know, about it. Tell you what, let's Dr. hold on. We're at, we're at the bottom of the hour here, so let's come back with Dr. Coucher in a minute, and we'll continue. Okay, Sean. Right on. All right. In the meantime, it is uh, about three thirty in the a.m., and you're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN. This is Mike Hagan. I'm your I'm your host uh, every weekend. Uh, tonight, my my guest is Sean Montgomery, and we're talking about the incredible story and the forgotten, unfortunately, what an understatement, uh, uh, unfortunately forgotten story of Royal Raymond Rife. And uh, we're going to continue with Sean in just a little while. We've got another hour and a half to go, so uh, so Sean, uh, relax. We've got plenty of time to uh, to get deeply into some of this stuff. I've got I've got some other questions, uh, as you might guess. Uh, uh, but uh, we'll get back in just a minute, okay? In the meantime, this is Fury in the Slaughterhouse. This song is called Every Generation Has Its Own Disease. We'll be back in a minute. This is Radio Orbit on KOPN. 
Okay. Every generation has its own disease. That's Fury in the Slaughterhouse. You're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN 89.5 FM. This is Mike Hagan, and uh, I'm on the line with Sean Montgomery, live from Toronto, Canada. And uh, Sean and I have been discussing the amazing story of Royal Raymond Reif uh, for the last hour or so. We'll be talking to Sean for another hour and 15 or so till the end of the program. And uh, up to this point, we've, we've sort of covered, uh, Sean, uh, the background of Reif, what he did, how he actually developed this technology uh, to be able to detect uh, in a living state microorganisms, uh, so-called filterable bacteria, this, uh, this BX virus that was, uh, uh, that, that, that was named that by, by Reif. And anyway, he collaborates with all kinds of very prominent physicians during his day, including uh, people like Milbank Johnson, Arthur Kendall, uh, and uh, many others. He develops a device to actually treat uh, the situations that he's discovered in the first scenario with the, with the microscope. Uh, he, he's able to view them with the microscope. Then he, then he develops this other device that he can now destroy those microorganisms that are cancer-causing uh, and disease-causing in general, apparently. Uh, this is not uh, particularly confined to cancer. And uh, he does clinical studies. Sixteen people who are terminally ill with a number of different maladies end up recovering fully. It's documented at the University of Southern California uh, at, and at the Scripps uh, Research uh, uh, Ranch, I guess it was called, in, in, La, in La Jolla. And uh, it's just outrageous because, because now what happens, Sean? So, so, so here's where they are. They, 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 they've okay. been successful. What's, what, what's next? The, the, the doctors involved in this uh, clinic, by the way, I got their names here. They were uh, Wellen Morrison, who was the chief of surgery at the Santa Fe Railway, uh, Dr. George Dock, who is uh, an internationally famous doctor, uh, Dr. George Fisher, who was the uh, uh, MD at the Children's Hospital in New York. There was uh, a Dr. Zeit, who is professor of pathology at Chicago University, and Rufus von Kleinschmidt, very famous doctor who was the president of the University of Southern California. Now these guys all witnessed it and signed it off as as a, you know successful clinic and successful cure or methodology. And uh, then what happens? Well, like I said, they realized then that they were they were in trouble because because now they have to present a, a drugless cure for infectious disease. To the world now. Imagine what's up against you with that. Right, right. The, hey, the Sean, entire, let me let me uh, let the me entire scientific medical community oh my God. of the world who right. all who all make their money off of pharmacy right. and and drugs and treatments that involve uh, uh, literally treatments of, of you know drugs and pharmacological uh, uh, chemicals and and right. what are they going to do? Right. Well, they proceeded very cautiously. Um, uh, Dr. Johnson, Dr. Milbank Johnson, has started his own clinic, and other doctors in the area started their own clinics uh, where they operated uh, these machines, sometimes oper- uh, using uh, taking up to 40 patients a day. Now, think about it, 40 patients a day were coming through. And, and, and this went on for uh, 34, 35, 36, 
37, and as they established this clinically in essentially Southern California. Now, uh, to establish it in, in other, like to recreate this methodology in other laboratories, the whole, the whole concept of the, uh, the, the BX virus for cancer and the, uh, all of the work that goes along with that, they approached several research organizations, the Hooper Foundation, the International Cancer Research Foundation, both of which today I think still exist. And uh, now these were these were rather, you know, they had a lot of money, and right. and they had a lot of clout, and they had a lot of say so. And Dr. Johnson knew this, and that's why he chose these people. And it was just a it was a, it was a disaster because uh, essentially uh, the people at the top looking down wouldn't play ball. They they wanted to conduct the research in their own way which is absurd considering that this is a very specialized and specific uh, treatment and, and protocol and, and that, you know, you have to follow what Rife is doing, not the other way around. So they, it was like pulling teeth getting other people to do this. And, and they, in the end, they wasted years and came to no, uh, no results as far as getting other um, doctors, other research facilities to to engage in this uh, and all of the, the lab work that necessary to substantiate this microbiological uh, foundation for cancer. There was a few other doctors. Uh, well, there was a Dr. Burnett who who lived in on the East Coast, um, who who was actually a friend of Rice, and he had an amazing laboratory, and he. Uh, he did. He carried on in good faith uh, Rife's work at, at his lab, but something terrible happened to that later on. Well, we'll get to that. But, <laughs> but so essentially, they weren't having any luck getting the microbiological aspects of this uh, noticed and understood and dealt with with other laboratories. Now you have to understand that there there there's a lot of specialized equipment, namely the microscope. And microscopes. Now, Wright made five microscopes. Not just he didn't just have one. He right. he had several different models of this, and he was and, working and on making a, a production model so that they could distribute it, and other research laboratories could do this work. Sean, were the but, were the microscopes that Rife, uh did he build them all by hand, or or did or did somebody else build them and he designed them? No, he built them by hand. Right, right. Much. I'm sure he had some help, but but essentially it was he, you know he he machined the parts, he he ground the the, the lenses, and he conceived and and you now it's a very specific and and you know very complex design on these microscopes and and uh, the specifics of all this, this the the, the actual technical specs uh, for a lot of this, you can find uh, anybody who wants to look into this, they can find just about everything. As far as paperwork, letters, photographs, uh, um, scientific uh, papers, and, and all the newspaper stuff. Right, again, again. At rife.org. All right, so that's uh, www.rife, R-I-F-E, dot O-R-G. And yeah, I've been, I've been there. They, they, they have a nice background around it that sort of explains the story and lots of information there. And, you know, again, this stuff is 
heavily documented. And, and I, you know, you reminded me of something a few minutes ago when you mentioned uh, Dr. Zeit. Uh, you reminded me of, uh, of Zeiss, Zeiss Optics, um, yeah. which is, uh, to this day, uh, anybody that's in microscopy uh, knows that Zeiss makes uh, world-renowned uh, microscopes and have for many, many years, I think they're in Switzerland is where they're based. Yeah, well, actually, Rife worked for for them. Right, right. So I wanted to make that point that yeah, you had a he had a because he said they didn't know what they were doing. Huh. <laughs> well, they you know they, he did they did they weren't they weren't thinking in the advanced terms that he was thinking. I right. mean, Rife could grind grind lenses like no one else, and and he was he was often you know and and an another he was he was he thought outside the box when it came to optics, and that's how he was able to conceive of these microscopes. And the people at Zeiss, they they you know they're doing quite well in the box. Thank right, you very much. right. They were the box. So, yeah, they were the box. That's right. <laughs> and so he he didn't last long there. Although he got his training from uh, in optics from from people at Zeiss. I think maybe even from uh, Carl Zeiss himself. Maybe from Carl Zeiss himself. Right, I think so. So uh, so these guys are are playing this clinically uh, the cure, and they're trying to get the the microbiology of it. Established in in uh, other laboratories unsuccessfully, and so at this point, I think they probably just decided, you know what, let's just mass produce the frequency instrument and get it out there mm-hmm. because you know it works. We'll give them the frequencies and the machine, and you go off, and then then let's see them try to stop this. And so that's what they did. They they started a company called the Beamray Corporation, and. Uh, uh, started producing um, frequency instruments, beam ray tubes, right ray machines, whatever you want to call them. Okay. They actually called them beam beam ray instruments um, within the company. But so they made several of these, shipped them out. They went to clinics. They used them successfully, uh, and eventually, the word got around to the infamous Morris Fishbein, who was the 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 head of the American Medical Association up in Chicago. Okay. Uh, a, a man who was dying uh, of, uh, had his face eaten away by a, a jaw cancer was treated with this, and he just recovered completely. Grew new baby skin back on his face, and he was just ecstatic. And he lived in Chicago, and when he went home, I guess uh, Fishbine got a hold of him and wined and dined him as they, as uh, one of Rice's associates said, and found out where this came from and who uh, who to contact with regards to it. Now, Morris Fishbein is an infamous character because um, if you actually look into his life, he stopped many viable cures for cancer. The Hoxi cancer treatment is a very famous case, Hoxi versus Fishbein. Mm-hmm. And and it, it seemed like you know, he wanted to he wanted the money from them. It's like buy into the, the the treatment and control it and get the profits. And if they won't play ball, crush them. Fishbein sort of changed the whole sort of idea of the AMA, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Uh, he was actually it's a one man show for 25 years. The Fishbein era was from 1925. Until about forty nine, I think it's what twenty five years. Yeah, uh, four years. He he was the uh, 
Well, he, he's not the, he wasn't the chairman. He was the editor of the American Medical uh, Association's journal. Right, the Journal of the American he, Medical Association. He was able to control control the flow of information and money into and out of the uh, what is essentially a doctor's union, the American Medical Association. But but if you look at old uh, AMA journals, uh, they call it the JAMA, the Journal of the American Medical Association, from back in those days, you can see it. Before Hirschbein's time, well, it was actually corrupt somewhat before that because of his precursor. Uh, I can't remember his name now. Um, But he basically, Hirschbein learned everything he did from him and took that ball and ran with it. And he he just ran the thing to make money. And and so it became big pharmacological houses established prominence because they could afford to be promoted and, and have all of their treatments and cures uh, advanced by Fishbine in the journal because he got a piece of the action. And and he became a very rich man, and he made a lot of money for the American Medical Association. But not all cancer cures involve, like, highly expensive uh, um, substances or drugs or, or techniques or, or therapies right, like right, this, right. like the beam ray. So... Sometimes there's not a lot, a lot of money to be made. And if, if something comes along that threatens to cure the disease once and for all, that's going to mean, that's going to mean the loss of a lot of money for, for uh, you know, a fair number of corporations. Or, you know, I don't, want, I don't want to name them because everybody knows who the drug companies are. And, right. and they're, and, they're and just I mean, powerful I mean, enough that you don't want to get on their bad side. But, I mean, just, but, look uh, at, just look at the grant money. Oh, uh, you yeah. know that, that goes out for cancer research that has been that has been put into the uh, in, into the uh, the private sector and the public sector through the universities and all this sort of thing for uh, well obviously now for eighty at least eighty years uh, since around Rife's time well, so more people working in the cancer industry than there is suffering from the disease. You know, I got to tell you something, Sean. You go. uh, I got to tell you something. I live here in Columbia, Missouri, right? And there's a there, there's a there's a big medical community here. There's a number of hospitals. I think there's more uh, uh, more hospital rooms per capita than anywhere in the United States, or something crazy like that. But anyway, there's a, there's a big university here. The University of Missouri is here, and uh, there's the uh, the University of Missouri Medical Center, and there's all kinds of of, of highly uh, advanced medical research going on here in Columbia, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of that is actually cancer research. <clears throat> and uh, in fact, there's one place uh, that I drive by every day that, that uh, they have a big sign out in front. They're, they're, uh, they're, they're, and their sign says, "All we do is fight cancer." <laughs> I mean it, and, and I see it every day. And, and there's not a day that goes by that I don't drive by that sign and think, "Man, you know, uh, what what is?" You know, what would they do if, if what would they do if the, if the disease went away? What would they do? Right, I mean, all of these places that they, I mean, I guess, uh, yeah, you, you find, you find something else to do, but, but like you say, it, it's, it's the end of, uh, an era, the end of disease. And, and in fact, that's a good segue into that particular, uh, benefit that was held, uh, sponsored by, uh, who was it? Who sponsored it? Was, Bill Lake Johnson okay. actually sponsored a, a, a dinner that he brought in medical, uh, people from all over the country, there was dozens of them, and they showed up at his mansion and 
upside down, and it was billed as the end of all disease. There's an article written about it in the Los Angeles Times back in 31, uh, 31 or 32. Incredible. And uh, this was, of course, before the this was before the uh, the Scripps uh, clinic at La Jolla, but it was when they saw the writing on the wall. It's like this, you know, look look what we got here. This is literally the end of all disease. I mean, we just and, and think about it. It's pennies, and and you're talking about a, a, a device that really doesn't cost a lot of money. And, I mean, it really isn't. It's it's you know a few hundred dollars. Right. It was it, it was the technique uh, and 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 the microscope primarily uh, that that uh, that were able to identify what these particular frequencies were. That that was the key. Actually, actually uh, uh, generating the frequency would be no big deal apparently. No, no, it wouldn't. I mean, that well, okay. That's this is where we get into something sort of, I guess, controversial, funny, um, funny not ha ha, but funny kind of odd. <laughs> uh, today. We have dozens of companies that produce so-called right frequency generators. They use the name Rife. Uh, they are frequency generators. They do put out frequencies. They do put them through a tube. But and 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 in, in a lot of cases, they do work on helping people. I don't know if you want to say curing people. I don't even like using that word. But right. uh, you know, successfully treating people for. For whatever disease they may, infectious disease they may have, and in some cases not even infectious diseases. Now, the funny thing about this is, the frequencies that Life established back in his day, um, it's not like he wrote them down on the lab notes. But these lab notes, we, we're not sure if they are the frequencies, like the the headings that it says for the frequency. That doesn't actually say MOR. There's actually a bunch of numbers given for various uh, aspects to operating these tubes um, on the on the lab notes. So yeah. you can you can look at it and go, well, I guess that's the frequency there. But there's, oh, maybe this is the frequency. But depending on the electronics of the machine they use themselves uh, at, at that time, these numbers could actually mean, uh, you know, this, that, or the other thing, not necessarily be the MOR. Now, there is letters and things where we actually do have the MOR stated explicitly for a few of the diseases, one of them being cancer. And now, the, but the machines they have today, the, even just the, 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 the protocol, the, 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 the principle, the, the methodology that they use, isn't one frequency equals one bug equals one disease equals, you know, flick it on and blow the bug. There's a, they do the shotgun approach where they're just hitting this frequency and that a whole bunch of frequencies. You sit mm. under one of these machines and they go through like a series of frequencies in this range. Then we pop it up to this range and then we do a series here. And well, I guess the idea is hopefully we'll hit one of these frequencies. Right. But I mean that's just that's just wrong. So I mean, it's, yeah, it can't, right. can't work. But it does. It, it it seems to be having an effect. Now now here's what I think is happening with that. It's it's essentially Rife with his MORs, he had what you can term as a death ray. It killed microorganisms. That, that's what it did. And however, there may be other effects that are physiological effects. Now, this is where the, the ray itself is actually acting on the body and physiologically. And so it's not actually 
a death ray. It's like a healing ray. It it it, it, it does something to your your immune system, your nervous system, your your all your systems in your body to positively affect you and, and help you rid yourself of whatever disease you're 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 being treated for now because I you know I don't want to slam this to today's usage of these so-called rife machines like I said there's a lot of them out there um, however and, and a lot of people are using them successfully and and I wonder how because they're not they're not using these MORs specifically like rife did they're they're doing this shotgun sort of array of frequencies, and people are... I mean, you can actually feel it. I sat under these things. You can feel a, a sense of well-being, or you can feel a sense of dread, or you can feel a sense of, like, you know, you hit the frequency, it's like, oh, I can feel that one. Huh. And, and, so, and so, you know, Wright said that, these, that his machine and the frequencies he, he was using, they didn't affect the tissues of the body, and you, you didn't hear it, you didn't feel it. It, it was just there's a light that comes on and the bugs inside you blow up and you might get a fluey feeling the next day because of all the all the detri you know detritus from the the organisms having been shattered inside of you and you have to kind of clean them up but as far as immediate effects there's none reported however today there is so so I think what's happening here is we have a confusion. And, and this isn't necessarily a good thing because there, you don't want to have confusion in some, something like this. You know, we have a confusion as far as effects and, and methodologies. As far right. as I know today, I mean, it would, it, 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 you'd think it would be a simple matter to sit down behind, under a microscope with one of these things, watch the bug, cycle through the frequencies until you find an MOR that blows the bug, and there, there we go. That's frequency with this but but we don't have microscopes right we don't have the scope see these little tiny organisms we mm -hmm. only can see the little really big ones right and and still you should be able to do that with the big ones but i don't see a lot of people doing that and and you know i've been in this sort of uh, this paradigm for a, a long time and and there is a, a guy here and a guy there who do understand the methodology and the principles involved and they've got their microscope and and they're they've got their their so-called beam ray machine, and they're trying to establish what modern MOR. Right, right. But as far as the therapeutic use of these machines, and, and make no mistake about it, Mike, there's a lot of people using these, a lot of doctors using these hmm. uh, across the country and, and around the world in their clinics. And, and well, I was going to ask you, know, you know, I would, that was a question I was going to ask you a little bit later was, you know, what's the, what's the state of the art right now? I would say the simple answer to that is it's confused. Right. However, you know, there's people who swear by it, and it, it does it does like affect things that you you can test. Like if you've got a flu, if you if you got a cold, if you're feeling under the weather, if you've got like an ache or a pain, and, and you you get under one of these things and you find a frequency that, that works for you, uh, it, it, it's reported by a lot of people to make you feel. Better and yeah. to alleviate the problem, but and again, yeah. I don't believe that we're dealing with a, a, an MOR at this point. I think we're we're looking at an entire new paradigm of medicine that that is is as important in its own right as what Rife is doing. But it's it's a physiological effect that's occurring with electronic uh, frequencies that are being 
you know, uh, cast at you through through uh, a beam tube. Wow. And, and it, it, I think it's really detrimental to the to the whole uh, the paradigm to to confuse the two. Even if there, I mean, I'm just guessing that there that there is a different effect occurring here. I, I'm pretty sure there is, but but you know that's my theory. I, I just I don't see how you can you can call your machine a rice machine, or you know, or use the name rice on a machine when it's just putting out frequencies. You got to have specific frequencies that that you know that this thing puts out, and you've got to be able to say, hey. This blows up those bugs under the microscope. Uh, uh, yeah. Try this on the try this on the body, like Christ did. But eh, they're not really doing that. And, you know, there's there's if you look on the internet, you find like lists and lists and lists of frequencies for for various things all over the place, and they're not always the same frequency. And so you wonder what's going on here, what is happening. And now there's there is this, this also opens up the whole field to to attack from from you know the quack police and, and from anybody who wants to to shoot this down, right? Because it's not being represented by the master anymore. It's he's dead and and, and now it's off into the hands of, of other researchers yeah, who, who. who aren't necessarily doing what he did, although they are using a similar type machine, right? So <laughs> I, energy medicine is the way to go here. I still think that that uh that physiological effects are something that's very important and and we should be looking at but we should be looking at it um, in a laboratory and determining what's going on instead of jumping right to the clinic okay hey this this might work try this yep I think uh, I agree although there's a lot of sick people who've gotten well who who will curse me for saying that because it worked for them right and and yeah yeah and and you know Sean all the more reason that this stuff needs to be looked at thoroughly and it needs to be uh, uh, defined better as you say there's a confusion of language and I talk about language a lot on this program and and uh, and language you know language has been uh, you know we could talk about it a long time but it's been very underestimated the power of language and the importance in human development and 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 one of the things that has to be done is you know language you can only evolve as fast as your language because if you can't describe it you can't go there you can't do it and that seems to be a, a similar situation with uh, with the rife technology there's a confusion absolutely so okay well look we're we're, we're uh, right about the top of the hour a little bit past uh, let's play another piece of music here we'll come back and uh, we'll have about another 45 minutes or so okay and uh, okay. we'll we'll uh, We'll, we'll talk, I guess, a little about what bit. happened to Rafe. Yeah, let's talk about what happened to him, uh, how the story sort of finishes with him, at least, and then maybe we can talk a little bit more about where we are today and uh, and what we can do uh, to try to uh, uh, to clear up uh, some of this confusion because uh, because clarity is what's requ- uh, what's required with all of this stuff. We we need clarity, and then we can. Uh, make reasonable decisions to move in the right direction regardless uh, uh, of who's uh, for or against it at this point I'm uh, I'm of the belief that at this point uh, knowledge is power information is power and in the right hands uh, uh, people just have to start to take your responsibility for themselves I think so so anyway okay well look Sean we'll be back in just a minute Uh, this is Mike Hagan you're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN and my guest is Sean Montgomery. We're talking about the incredible forgotten history of 
Royal Raymond Rife, but it's not fully forgotten. Uh, thanks to guys like Sean Montgomery and uh, some other people that are doing some uh, great research out there, uh, we still have enough of the story to know that it's worth following. And uh, we're going to follow it a little bit further in just a few minutes. Again, Radio Orbit, Mike Hagan, this is Peter Gabriel. We'll be back in a minute.
Peter Gabriel. That's Mercy Street. And this is Radio Orbit. You're listening to it on KOPN. My name is Mike Hagan. I'm your host every week, and uh, I'm on the line with Sean Montgomery, live from Toronto, Canada. Sean and I have been talking for the last couple hours about Royal Raymond Reif, an amazing story of a scientific and medical genius uh, who uh, Sean has been uh, grateful enough uh, to, or we should be grateful to Sean, I should say, for, for doing the work that he's done uh, to bring this story back to life, to bring Royal Raymond Reif back to life, which is really what, you, what, what you've done, I think, Sean. And by the way, I want to thank you for the work. I need to do that. And I want to thank you for uh, staying up to all hours of the night uh, to do this live and uh, to talk to me uh, and all my listeners tonight. So, uh, so we really do appreciate it. It really is an important story, and, um, and, I'm, and uh, I appreciate it. So thanks. All right. So, um, all right. Uh, so where were we? What, ha- what, what ends up happening to Rife? We, 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 we know that he's, he gets sort of uh, embroiled and rolled up in this bureaucratic nightmare. They form a corporation, and, and, and Fishbine gets involved uh, with odious Fishbein agendas. and involved. I'm sorry. He tried to buy his way into the corporation. Okay. He heard about them, and of course they refuse. Uh, seeing you know what this is, who this he doesn't personally come in. He sends uh, agents there, and these guys know who they're dealing with, the, the Beamray Corporation fellows, and they basically say, no, we're not selling you any stock in our corporation. We don't want you guys around because they, you know, it, it's just. Essentially, this is for free. You know, it doesn't cost anything. Maybe a few pennies of electricity to run the run the device. But once the device is there, you can you can treat an entire city <laughs> with one machine, right? And so and so, there's not a lot of money to be made in it. They understood that what these guys are trying to do is get control. Okay. And then God knows what's going to happen. So they refused uh, any any participation or involvement with uh, the powers that be. And 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 that was probably that was spelled the end for them because what happened was the Morris Fishbein picked out one of the members of the of the Beamery Corporation, a certain Philip Hoyland, and they bribed him with ten thousand dollars. Gave him ten thousand dollars so that he would take the rest of the guys in the corporation to court. What year was that, them. Sean? What year was that? That was 1939. All right, so 10 grand. The end of 38, the beginning of 39. I want to point out that 10 grand in 1939, this is, this is basically the Depression. Not basically, mm-hmm. it is. And, uh, it's a lot of money. And it's a huge amount of money, $10,000 uh, 40, 45 years ago. So, okay, Sean. So he took the money, and he did. He, he, he uh took them into court in a lawsuit on the premise that they they were mismanaging the corporation. There was some funny business going on in the corporation with another guy that was involved, and they ex- exploited that, essentially, and dragged them all into court. Now, I guess this was ostens- ostensibly to to throw a wrench into the, to the system and, and, and divert everybody's attention from, the, from the, the job at hand, which it just did beautifully. Um, Rife was a very timid fellow when it comes to appearing on the witness stand. He, he's, he was sort of the... Uh, he's always used to being the boss and, and in charge, and everybody listened to him, and he's running the show. 
So now suddenly he's got to stand on a witness stand and be assailed with questions about essentially things they really didn't know anything about. Which right, he wasn't was a businessman, business. right? He wasn't a businessman. In the end, he started drinking. And somebody, he, he, was, he wasn't handling the court appearances very well, so a doctor suggested he, he take a nip off the old bottle to uh, calm his nerves. And her wife had never drank, drank before that, and he's, he's basically was an alcoholic before having drunk. He's one of those people who has a genetic predisposition. Mm-hmm. And off he went. He, he just became a, 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 a drunk. And that was... That was the end of him. He, it was his downfall. He also had, was losing his eyesight and, and could no longer work his microscope, sort of like the Beethoven thing where he lost his ears, but he was a great composer. Mm-hmm. Well, here's wife, one of the great seers of all time, who is going blind. So he was pretty much finished in the laboratory by 39 wow. anyway. But as far as championing, championing the uh, promulgation and publication of this, uh, cure device uh, that took him out of the running there too mainly because while they were in court the American Medical Association went around to all the doctors who were using the device and they threatened them and said stop it or you lose your membership and this, and ending thus ending their careers as doctors so what did the doctors do they, they handed over the, the machines and they stopped using them and you know that was it. That was that. That's where the brakes went on on this. Now, if that didn't happen, I, I argue that we would we would it would be a household word today. We'd all be using them. But it did happen. And there was one doctor who who basically said, you know, said, no way. I, you know, this this I have patients to treat. And that was the doctor Couch who who attended the clinic. Right. Who we mentioned earlier. And he went on, and, and he used it for years and years after, decades, in fact, um, and carried it through. But, but as far as uh, as far as everybody else goes, they 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 gave it up. And even the doctors who who were attended the the medical uh, the clinical trials in 1934, they succumbed to the pressure, and so that. Years later, when asked, you know, about this riot guy, they would not even know him. <laughs> That's how powerful uh, the medical community can be. You know, they, they, there's lots of levels of intimidation that can be used. And to be sure, they pulled out all the stops to stop this because this threatened a lot of things. Sean. A lot of profits. Yeah, it's, 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 out, it's outrageous. Uh, hey, let me ask you a question. Do any of these devices still exist? Do we know if there are, if any of his microscopes are still uh, around? Or I mean, the, the microscope, I guess, is my primary interest. Uh, the beam ray device, I think, uh, can be developed uh, independently once you have the microscope again. What, yeah, uh, there's a few. There's a few beam ray devices around, original ones, uh, and there there was five microscopes that he built. Um, we went, uh, Jason and my, my uh, colleague Jason Ringus and I went out to, uh, to England, London, England, uh, about 10 years ago now. And Jason, uh, uh, sorry. The number five, because what happened was there were some English doctors who got involved in this. And, of course, they're not, in the, they're not under the influence of the American Medical Association. So they bought, they bought uh, uh, 
a microscope. Uh, he made one special for them. It's called the Number Five microscope, and a few frequency instruments, and took them back to England. Now, this was just before the war started, so the war essentially stopped all of that uh, research and, and, and correspondence that was going on between them. However, the devices and the, and the microscope did make it out there, and ultimately, uh, I think a, a, a German bomb landed on uh, oh. Dr. Gonan's laboratory, but it didn't destroy his the, the, the Rife machines, but it pretty much stopped his work. And the the uh, microscope ended up at the Welcome Museum in London, which is where we went to see it. And uh, there was actually a Dutch film crew that came with us. They were doing a documentary on Rife in Holland. Really? And uh, it was it was really cool. We went out there with uh, to this museum, and they had the cameras rolling, and went in, and they pulled it out of the they pulled it out of the uh, the archives. And, and, you know, they have a lot of stuff there, too, just in sitting in boxes and big buildings. You just wonder what's in there. No kidding. You wonder what's in this. One of them had this microscope, and they pulled it out, and there it was. And, My and, gosh. And, and, and it, you know, people had been there before. Uh, one of one of Rife's associates, later-day associates, uh, John Crane, who he started working with in 1950s, he, he was the heir to, to all of Rife's uh, stuff. And he uh, he felt that that microscope belonged to him, so off he went out there to try to get it back, and they wouldn't give it to him because actually it didn't belong to him, it belonged to Dr. Gonan in, in England, who was by that time dead. Mm-hmm. But now it belonged to the museum, and so but you now there's a lot of intricate uh, parts and crystal quartz uh, lenses and uh, you know various. Uh, elements to these micro to this microscope that was out there, and when we saw it, you could tell that somebody had taken parts from it. It didn't work. I mean, it was there and it, it looked beautiful, and it, you know we have all the photos of of it from Rice Day, and it, it was it was the microscope. Yeah, and it's but, uh, You couldn't get the thing to work because you know I mean, you'd have, you had. Even Golden couldn't get it to work back in the days because he because he you need a vice there to basically show you the methodology of how to operate this very complex and specialized instrument. My gosh! You know you don't work it like a normal microscope. It's right, got, right. It's got a whole different principle of operation about it. Again, you can you can discover all of that, uh, all the technical details and specifications at rife.org of uh, the various microscopes that Rice built. So the drawings and that sort of stuff are, are, are survived? Yes, there are drawings. i got one up on my wall here. Um, schematic specs. Uh, the actual... Um, actually, you know, you know, Mike, there's a guy in, in Germany who developed a microscope called the Ergonom hmm. uh, microscope that, that is comparable to one of these Rice microscopes. You can see live viruses with it. In fact, I think he's actually, well, he says he has anyway, he's actually observed the BX virus under his scope. And this, you know, they're very expensive and very specialized. And, but, uh, but he can they, do a live, they, but he can do a live observation, Sean? Mm-hmm, yeah. So he can, okay. Yeah, so it's he, a light microscope. It's a light, you know, you can, mm-hmm. you can do, you can see these things with an electron microscope too, but you're just not seeing them live. Right. But this particular microscope that actually exists now uh, in Germany, 
is a light microscope, and it looks at live uh, live viruses. Okay. Well, let's let's and mention that again then. What's it called? It's called the Ergonom microscope. Ergonom. Is, is it the Ergonom or Ergonom? I think it's the Ergonom microscope. I think it was called the Ergonom 500, but that was one of the okay. one of the original uh, renditions of it. All right, so again, yeah, you look it up on the internet. You'll, okay, you'll see, yeah. you'll find it. Yeah, again, um, for people out there, if you're interested in this stuff, go out. That we we have the tools at, at our disposal now, people. We have the tools. You can go out there and you can verify this stuff for yourself. There, you know, the, the, there's no longer the excuse of saying, "Well, I, you know, I, you know, I, I, I had no way of knowing." Well, we have the tools now, so go out there well, and check do. this stuff out. You're right. They do. The tools are if you if you want, if you know, they're there. If, if you actually are motivated to do this, the information exists to reestablish and recreate the, the microscopes. Like, I, you know, I challenge that microscope companies to get on this. Like, I've always wondered what's holding them back. Right, I mean, right. well, well, obviously, what? maybe it's, it's their own profit margin and mm-hmm. thinking, well, if we put out something like this, nobody will buy our other models. But uh, yeah, there are inherent you know, problems. It'll, with it'll render with obsolete microscopes, right? And, and, and who wants that if you're making a living off selling microscopes? All right. So, um, and and also his universal microscope, which is a big, you know, big complex daddy, the number three, is in California somewhere now, and it's it's under uh, Barry Lyons, the author of uh, Cancer Cure that worked had it, and he. Uh, I think, unfortunately, gave it to some unscrupulous characters to ah. clean it up and study it, and, and they won't they won't give it back to them. Huh. So these people have it, and who knows where they got it, and even who they are. But you don't, you know, Jason and I always said you don't really need to have these old microscopes anyway. You, you, what you need is you need to know how they work. You need the idea. You need the you, right. You need the, the idea there. Yeah. And and that's and that's all well you know well documented. In fact, there's. For any any scientists, uh, doctors, or pathologists out there who who are wondering if this is actually you know real, I, I urge them to look up in in their medical library. They'll have uh, all the old copies of the Smithsonian, the Journal of the Smithsonian Institute, and the Franklin Journal. Look under the year 1944, February, and you will find an article written about the rife. Microscopes called the it's called the new microscopes and they talk about they talk about the the electron microscope which had just come out and oh wow isn't this amazing and and look at this other microscope this universal microscope by Rife and there's several pages and lo and behold they have three beautiful photomicrographs taken through Rife's microscope published in huh. these articles wow. and they're full page and and now the beauty of this is you can look at these and it wasn't even until like 30 years after these were published that even the electron microscope could see what you're seeing in these pictures that were published in 1944. Huh. Just the, the detail, the resolution the, 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 of, of um, the three samples that they show in those pages. And they're, they're really good photographs. And, and you know, there's a pathologist that we, we worked with who actually was a, one of the early Rife researchers. He got onto this because he saw those, and, and he was looking at those in the in 1949, and he realized that that you you know this is incredible. Like you you, you can't fake this because because 
you, you, there's no way of knowing what these things actually look like at this resolution. You can see, you can see the, like cell membrane walls and 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 that we didn't even know existed until they were finally uh, discovered with the electron microscope. Right, many many years later. Right. Right, and so and so there's there's you know proof that these microscopes can can see uh, the way that we're t- that we're talking about here uh, with with like incredible resolution, and we're talking a light microscope now that can get magnifications of up to like thirty, forty, fifty thousand times. Right, in his and own light words. Light microscopes today do fourteen hundred times, mm-hmm. thousand to fourteen hundred tops, and we're talking like you know, 30, 40, 50,000 times magnification with resolution. Right, uh, and it's, it's when I thought, of a living yeah. sample. That's a, Yeah, I mean, well, of course, these photographs, you know, you can't tell they're alive. Right. Because they're, they're photographs, but, uh, uh, yeah, living, living. <laughs> wow. Now, you know, the, the electron microscope can get up into the millions, right? You can see... Magnifications up to a million times of really good resolution, but well, you're looking at something that's a carcass. Right, right. There's and no way that will look at something living and going through its life cycle and what it does while it's alive. You right. know, like that's that's the big question, isn't right. it? Not what it looks like, but what what does it do? <laughs> right. You know, I've I've always uh, I've always had sort of a what I call a hard swallow uh, with uh, certain scientific uh, methodologies and and. In particular, for me, biology is, by definition, the study of life. And in the laboratory, the first thing we do is kill things uh, in, order to, in order to study life. And, and to me, that has always been, as I, call, as, as I say, it's been a hard swallow. It, does, it doesn't intuitively make sense to me. And uh, when I first heard about <clears throat> uh, rife and uh, the fact that he was able to look at live organisms, I, it, it immediately went, you know, bang in my head. And I thought, that's it. Yeah, that, that's where it's at uh, in order to learn he about it. He brought it out. Yeah. You so, realize hey, that that was what you need. You incredible. need to see this. And so, right. hey, i got to invent something that allows me to do that, right. you know, because it doesn't exist. And he just did it. And he, he, he did it. And it took him, you know, quite a while. Right. Too, but Many, many he, years. There's a lot of problems to be solved in doing that and in getting that kind of magnification and resolution in contrast with uh, with a light microscope. But uh, he just addressed every one of them, and it's really it's just really a simple principle that he that he's he's using it on. He's he's working with it, and he just he just takes all the limitations of regular uh, standard laboratory light microscopes. And he eliminates them. He eliminates the, like, oh, here's a problem here. Well, that's no good. Eliminate that. And eliminate, you know, all the spherical and chromatic aberrations. And then eliminate the, the, the treating the light up to the path. He used quartz lenses. He refused to use glass. He had to use quartz. And, because quartz is the, the best stuff to use for passing, uh, for passing light passing without, right. without affecting it. And so they would, they would, you know, send away to to Australia to get the best rock quartz crystal to, to then grind down for their lenses. And now, you know, it was quite expensive. The, this, this microscope, the way he built it, but they gradually got 
less and less expensive as he refined the the the, the thing. So that in the end, the number five I think was a thousand dollars. That's a thousand dollars. That's that's cheaper than a. <laughs> It's cheaper than a than a, lab, a laboratory microscope right. today, and 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 even then a lot of money. But hey, okay, listen, uh, I, I don't care what it costs. You know, if uh, if it was a million dollars in 1939, it still would have been worth it. So hey, we're we're at the bottom of the hour again, Sean. The time is just blazing by us, uh, as it always does when we have these fascinating conversations. Uh, so let's take another break here. We'll be back in a few minutes. My guest is Sean Montgomery, and we're talking about. Royal Raymond Rife will uh, be back and sort of have about uh, 20 minutes or so left to wrap things up, Sean, and uh, and we'll uh, we'll do it then. Okay. Okay. All right. Back in a minute. This is Mike Hagen. You're listening to Radio Orbit.
Vitalogy. The song is called Nothing Man. And uh, it makes me think about the story of Royal Raymond Reif, a guy who was so amazing and someone that everyone, a name that everyone in this country and probably around the world should know. Uh, but most people don't. He's been turned into sort of a nothing man. Uh, but uh, he sure was something. And I'm on the line here with Sean Montgomery from uh, Toronto, Canada, and uh, Sean has been one of the few people who have uh, recognized the importance and the relevance of the story of Royal Raymond Rife and uh, brought him back from the dead, so to speak, and uh, we've been talking to Sean for the last couple hours about the amazing story of Royal Raymond Rife, and we sort of finished things off, Rife was, uh, the bottom line was they finished him off, regardless of uh, whether you want to call it a conspiracy or not, the bottom line was he ended up pretty much a ruined man. Is that right, Sean? Ruined, yep, and in, incapacitated with regards to his science and work. And, uh, you know, he wasn't allowed to finish by giving it to us. They they didn't want it. And then, you know, we wanted it, but, you know, they, the, the, the they didn't. And we all know who they are. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it, it, as I said earlier, it's sort of a common story. I talk about a lot of these sorts of topics and one of the things that I've been uh, uh, talking a lot about lately is energy and um, there are similar advances I would argue and I think there is clear evidence of it now uh, of advancements in the fields of uh, alternative and what some people might call exotic energy uh, but again uh, the the, uh, the ever-present they don't seem to want this stuff uh, to be uh, to be brought out, and, and, and typically it's for the same reasons. Primarily, it's uh, it's it's the dollar bill. You know, it's just, it's it's almost understandable. You know, like how that can be, because the money involved here is is the livelihood of you know thousands, even millions of people, and this is what happens when we when we enter these things called paradigm shifts, where you have to go from one way one understanding into a new way or a new understanding the proponents of the old way resist the change and and it's just it's the, it's the story is told over and over again in every field uh, of advancement ever since ever since humans have been around that's right it takes it takes a lot it takes generations to move on to the next thing and I think Thomas Kuhn said it best in his Structures of a Scientific Revolution, where he essentially said, in order for a new way to come to, to come to, to the fore, the people who were the proponents of the old way have to die. They don't have to be killed, they just have to die. They have to die of old age, and they have to, you know, it has to sort of move over to the, the younger, newer uh, crowd who, who have these new ideas and have the power now and influence to get them out. Yep. And hopefully someday that will happen with Rife. You know, that will happen with Rife's cure for cancer and his his, his way of looking at, uh, at at microbiology in the paradigm of the germ theory of medicine. And, and you know, and that's arguably uh, not correct. I, actually, that's what I'd like to talk about a little bit is the medical community, the people that we're sort of addressing right now and who might 
uh, be listening to this program and who may have a chance to listen to it uh, over the web, I'm going to make sure, you know, I know I've got a lot of doctor friends around here and around the country, actually, and I'm going to make sure that they all get a copy of this program. So if we've got a message, Sean, for the, for the, for the, the sharp young postdocs and the graduate students and the people out there that really can make a change, uh, what do we... What do we what do we tell them? I guess the first thing is to go to that library and look at what you just said before. I think it's important we, that that we repeat that. The uh, among other things, yes, but th- that's actually the best place to start, even for medical students. They don't necessarily have to be doctors, but if you dig into the medical libraries of the work that's been done in the last hundred years, there's there's the stuff that everybody goes to, the well-worn pages, and then there's the 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 other stuff, which which is sometimes just fantastic like stuff that you just can't believe that somebody did this this is this is known but it's it's not known and it's not used it was just done so if you look back on into uh regarding rife and just the efficacy and 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 value of his microscope what you could see with it look back into the uh franklin institute the journal of the franklin institute and the Smithsonian Institute Journal from 1944, and I believe the month is February issue. And you'll find an article that talks about the new microscopes that were emerging at that time. In there is a big piece on uh, the, the universal microscope of Royal Rife. And with it come three photomicrographs, which, if you're a student, take those photomicrographs to your to your teacher, to your to your doctor teacher, and ask him to explain what you're seeing there with regards to these pictures were taken and and, and it published in 1944, but actually taken in 1934. And how these are this is something that can't exist yet does. The resolution on those photographs and and even just what they see, like forget about the resolution, what the details of these organisms that you're seeing is unprecedented and that should be proof enough that to, to anybody who understands what they're looking at that there is something here there's something very important here that needs to be addressed and and that would thrust us forward in in in, in medical in medicine and in, in in microbiology the understanding of pathogenic organisms uh, if we if we could only understand again what Rife was doing and what he did, what he accomplished, this would this would change everything. If if we could get actual universities and and to 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 pay attention to this, to study this, to you know understand this, because right now it's not it's an I'm not a doctor, and and most of the people who work on this this stuff are aren't doctors. They're just researchers and. We're always trying to get medical professionals and 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 pathologists involved and and try to get them to to, to sign up and and you know carry on the work. Yeah, and and uh, and if nothing else, give it the benefit of your own judgment based in the clear light of your own consciousness and your own intelligence. You know. Do these things go out there? Look at them. And, and this isn't hairy fairy stuff. This is these are the, the top medical minds of the day, 
were involved in this. These were these were men with with you know nothing to lose, and 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 they could see what was happening. And if you you just have to see who they were and understand that they understood this, right. they saw the, the the value and and the 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 reality of of what what Rife was doing and and it, how far advanced this was, and you know if it was good enough for them. It should be good enough for for the minds of today, um, to you know the the medical minds, the the prof, the professionals to to understand it and you know know that you're not you're not grappling with something here that's that's quackery. This is this is very real stuff, and it's very important. There's a lot of people dying when they shouldn't necessarily have to. No question about it, Sean. And uh, and again, a picture's worth. A thousand words. Take a look in those journals and uh, ask your professors, your teachers, your mentors to explain those pictures. And uh, until they can do that, um, well, they can do it. And uh, Sean's done it all night tonight. And uh, the story is absolutely incredible, yet true. So many of the things that we were talking about tonight, Sean, you said it best yourself. You said, this is something that cannot exist, but does. <laughs> and uh, this whole story is one of those stories that cannot exist, but does. It does. And, uh, and it, it, it cannot, but it should, you know, because <laughs> right. it did. Right. It did exist. It did. It's just the way, the way things run now, it's just, you know, there's... There's a lot of people who who have closed minds and they refuse to think outside the box. And you just got to understand that the box isn't necessarily a good thing. No question about it. You know, you mentioned uh, paradigm changes before, and we got a few minutes left here. And I'll I'll, I'll add something that uh, uh, a, a personal observation of mine. You know, I look at I look at culture and I look at paradigms sort of like operating systems. And every once in a while you have to swap out your operating system and if anybody has ever installed a new operating system on their computer they know the deep cold gut-wrenching feeling when you look at it and you know the whole thing is just hanging by a thread yeah. you, know, you know i mean it's just a it's a horrible thing uh, to 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 make those changes and i think culturally we're in the same uh, we're, we're, we're right in that window right now where there, there, we're, we're, there are lots of changes in lots of different areas of endeavor that really could do uh, the same thing that, uh, that the implications of, of Royal Raymond Rife's work uh, could do uh, in, in just different areas. But, uh, but all of these things seem to be coming to a head. I tell you, the timing sure feels right. And, and the information uh, and the availability of the information is one of the things that's allowing us to do that. I mean, the fact that you and me are here talking about this is a tremendously hopeful sign, I think. Yeah, it is. Uh, you know, it's, you, this stuff wasn't happening at all 10 years ago. Uh, you know, you, you, there was no... Because of the Internet, even, like, the, 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 there's so much information on Rife out there now on, on the Internet that it was... The only source for this stuff was uh, ten years ago was uh, to, to either source the medical journals and, and luck upon finding this article or that article about Rife, or to read Barry's book, right? And and you know get the get the rundown on this. But you know it's, it's not a bestseller, and and it, it should be actually, but it isn't because 
a lot of people won't stock it. It's just too scary. Right. You know, uh, my uh, my mother and father are actually in town right now visiting me, and my mother was recently treated for stomach cancer. That's why I know a little bit about H. pylori and some of these other things. But uh, at any rate, she had radiation treatment, did the standard thing, and, and luckily uh, she uh, seems to have come out of it okay and everything. But uh, uh, the bottom line is that is that uh, these ideas affect all of us. Cancer is, is, despite all of the research that's been going on for all of these years, cancer is on the rise still. I think it's something like one out of every three of us now in America will have cancer, Sean. It's incredible. Uh, Nixon, President Nixon uh, started, initiated the, the so-called war on cancer right. a month after Rife died. And, and since then, they've spent billions of dollars. And Where's the where's the godness? This, we use the same treatments we've been using for the last fifty years: surgery, right. chemotherapy, and radiation. Right. And, and anybody who's ever encountered those that paradigm, even if they do come away cured, they're they they're they're horrified by the effects of these of this this archaic treatment. Yeah. yeah. And when there's something like the the, the right treatment, which is painless and and completely effective. And non-invasive, uh, fully non-invasive. Non-invasive. You don't even know what's happening. I mean, you could you could you could literally be treated with a with the rife frequency without knowing it. You know, <laughs> you could you come over to and sit in a chair and then get yeah. up and leave three minutes later, and and uh, it's done. You know. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, it has been an absolutely fascinating conversation, Sean. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. I think we've got. Uh, uh, a little piece from Royal Raymond Rife in his own words that uh, that I thought that you and I agreed that, that might be nice to finish up with. Yeah, this is what I finished my documentary with. This is a nice little plea to the future. All right. Well, right. I tell you what, let, let, let's listen to that in, in a minute. But uh, let me say thanks again to you one more time and uh, give the information out uh, uh, for the website. Uh, Sean's documentaries, uh, both of them, the first one, uh, both, uh, there's two in the series called The Rise and Fall of a Scientific Genius, the story of Royal Raymond Rife, and they're both available at www.002.org, and those are not numbers, those are, those are uh, the words spelled out, 002.org. Uh, I, I think I'd also like to mention Barry Lyme's book, uh, The Cancer Cure That Worked, uh, it is out there if you want to go find it. It's 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 not uh, the most uh, uh, easy to find book, but it is out there. I own it, uh, and uh, my mom was reading it tonight, <laughs> as a matter of fact, before I came in to do the show, and uh, I, I sort of had uh, had asked her to take a look at it. But at any rate, uh, incredibly important, relevant, valid information, and uh, thanks so much, Sean, for your work in helping bring this stuff back uh, back from the grave. Appreciate that, Mike. Uh, no problem. All right, let's play that piece, and uh, I won't uh, talk to you again on the air, so let's play that and say goodbye now, and uh, thanks again. And, and Sean, we're going to make uh, a habit of getting you back on the air here uh, some, somehow on a regular basis so we can keep, uh, uh, keep this alive and keep bringing this information to new people that haven't heard it. So I'd love to. All right, great. So here's, here's Rife, and good night, everyone. Have a good weekend. Sean, thanks again. There are so many of these different types of ailments pertaining to human disease and animals that they're just absolutely too numerous to mention. And as we go through them and we study them and photograph them, 
study their life cycle, their development. We know their incubation period or so-called incubation period of them all. So that is something that will have to be worked out farther by other technicians and other workers besides myself. Now we have gone through, as I say, I have worked at this work for over 50 years. I have worked sincerely and honestly. I have never attempted in any way to fool myself. It's a very easy thing to do, to fool oneself when he works a long time on a particular project and he looks hours and hours a day through the tube of a microscope. He can imagine a great many things that he does not see. But the work is encouraging and it's something that can be carried on with the improvement and the advancement of scientific instruments that we have at the present time that will carry us farther into the field and endeavor. And we hope sincerely that what little we have done thus far will be a stepping stone for the great field of workers and scientists in the future. All right. This is Mike Hagan. You've been listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN. That was Royal Raymond Rife in his own words, and I don't think I could say it better. And I want to thank Sean Montgomery one more time for the incredible work that he's done. Sean, thanks again. Uh, he's up at, uh, uh, in Toronto, Canada, doing some incredible work and some incredible research. And again, I put that plea out that Sean put out earlier to the medical community of our own area here in Columbia and anybody else who happens to hear this over the web or whatever, I challenge you to go out there and prove this stuff is not in the record. Prove this stuff doesn't exist. Prove it to yourself. And if it does exist, if it did happen, if these stories are real, which they are, I assure you, try to move them forward. Try to help move them forward. And that's what we're about here on Radio Orbit, moving forward. And uh, with that in mind, we're going to play one last song for Royal Raymond Rife. Stick around for Carol Greenspan and Jewish Spectrum. She'll be with you in just a few minutes here. Uh, one more time, big thanks to Sean Montgomery. This is uh, the Crash Test Dummies. The song is called Superman's Song. In honor of Royal Raymond Rife on Radio Orbit, KOPN. Tarzan wasn't a ladies' man, but he just come along and scoop him up under his arm like that. Quick as a cat in the jungle. But Clark Kent, now there was a real gent. Sitting around in the jungle, dumb as I need to nothing. Superman never made any money for saving the world from some grand deal. Sometimes I despair the world. See another man like him. Hey, Bob, Sue had a strange job. Even though he 
Sometimes I just feel 